I'm Ruth Mortimer, Managing Director for Global Education Advertising Week, and... I'm Joey Leichman. Hi, Ruth. I am the VP of Buyer Development at OpenX, and you're listening to the Agency Roadshow. Today, we are meeting Jen Doss, who is the Chief Transformation Officer at Initiative, the IPG agency. Jen always does her best to age herself and talk about how she started in finance so many years ago, but we're not going to let her do that. So let's say it was much more recently than that. We are going to cover a lot of ground with Jen, including how she thinks about her role at IPG, her view on industry identity initiatives, and even the advice that she would offer to folks looking to get into the industry. So make sure to stick around for that. We were also told that there may or may not be a German Shepherd puppy appearance. So I am very much on the edge of my seat. So with that, Ruth, why don't you get us started? Thanks, Joey. Now let us welcome Jen Das, Chief Transformation Officer at Initiative. Hi, Jen. Hi, Ruth. How are you? I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, we're so glad to have you here. So we'd love to hear a bit more about Initiative and what your role is there. Sure. So as you rightfully mentioned, I'm accountable for transformation in the U.S. as the chief transformation officer. I report into our fearless leader, Stacy, who's our CEO here in the U.S., and work closely with Jared Martin, our global COO, to ensure that we're pushing the transformation agenda forward. And I think the key difference here is that historically transformation has been operations or digital transformation, which I definitely oversee, but it's also about how we transform our culture with our great partners like Kim, who's our chief experience officer, and Pele, who's our chief culture and inclusion officer here at Initiative. So we are very people focused and culture is definitely a part of that. Jen, hi, how are you? Thanks so much for joining us. So we know you have a really interesting, cool new role. We would love to maybe pull it back. And if you can give us the two minute version of your career before Initiative, we'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, sure. Historically, as folks know, I'm very data-driven, and I think that comes with my finance background. So way back when, which I won't tell you the year because that'll age myself, (laughs) but way back when, I actually started off at a private bank, ironically, working on their trade desk, essentially pushing numbers from a holistic reconciliation perspective. I quickly found that it wasn't something that I was interested in. So I moved over to agency side, working on finance and systems at Publicis as their shared services. After that, I spent a number of years at MediaOcean, building products and services for our agency partners across the spectrum and products. So it wasn't just looking at a spot product or a digital product. It was the entire kit and caboodle. And Mm -hmm. I actually appreciated that time because back in those days, MediaOcean had a six-month immersion training session where they taught you kind of everything within the ecosystem, which was really helpful. After that, I kind of moved back to the agency side at Publicis, building one of the first agency data platforms back in 2012. And since then have led operations at Publicis Media, Horizon, Adensu, obviously uh, most recently coming from Publicis Media, where I oversaw large telco account and a few other work streams holistically across their various agency partners. Great. So I think we've established that you, despite your incredible youth, have done a lot in that very <laughs> short time. Um, but let's look at IPG, not as young as you, but it has a lot going on. Matakind, Kineso, Axiom, Media Brands, as well as UM and Initiative. So for those who aren't so familiar with the organization, could you tell us a little bit about how IPG itself has evolved over the last few years and where Initiative sits within that organization? Yeah, for sure. 
Similar to some of our other industry hold codes, we acquired Axiom as our main data asset quite a number of years ago. I think we were one of the first movers there, if I'm if I recall correctly. We then built Kineso to essentially sit on top of that with the data and platforms embedded. So how do we bring this large data asset that has been known in the industry for a long time to bear for our clients? So working between Axiom and Kineso has been really great because they have that breadth and depth of subject matter expertise in that area. Matterkind, rightfully so, is our programmatic arm. They have a ton of industry knowledge and best practices as we think about the ways we can leverage programmatic, not just from a biddable display and video perspective, but some of the more outcome-based and uh, paper performance aspects. They were also one of the first movers on, so that was great. Reprise is our social and search arm. We definitely have very strong partnerships with all of our partners from that perspective. The other aspects I would include in there are Rapport. So Rapport being our out-of-home agency and Orion being some of the aspects as we think about bringing our market share to life within the marketplace in addition to Magna. So we have quite a lot of strong SME-related agencies where initiative is kind of the end-to-end facet that brings that to life for our clients. So if you think about the craft structure that we have and making sure we're structured in a way uh, to deliver on, let's just say, our clients' solutions um, or clients' business problems and bringing those solutions forward, I would say we're bringing the best of those agencies together in an integrated way. And it's a large part of my role actually to help do that for today as well as the future. So I actually oversee the day-to-day relationship, the ways of working and, you know, how we think about that next evolution of, of solutions for our clients working with those partners. Jen, that's a perfect segue because thinking about how initiative is wired into those other business units, which, which sounds like falls directly within your remit. It's very clear that IPG has made incredible strides around addressability, specifically the word addressability. You talked about acquiring Axiom. I believe that was in 2018. I may be mistaken. And then more recently, some IPG business units have taken on new titles, including Kineso changed their name to Kineso, Matterkind changed the name to Matterkind, and then a number of job titles there now include the word addressability. So is initiative thinking the same way thematically? And either way, what does addressability mean to you and IPG? Why is it so important? I think you're seeing that dichotomy of brand versus performance come to play, like holistically, whether it be from an inventory perspective where it was linear video and digital video and they had separate teams. We're thinking about it more holistically, especially as the marketplace shifts. So I think that's where the addressability nomenclature comes in because it's not just how do we buy the most efficient CPM, it's how do we think about our cultural relevance, our overall audience structure that we're trying to deliver for that client, whether it be a direct audience, a content moment, a big brand moment, and really have that embedded in everything that we're pushing forth for that client all the way through activation and measurement. So that's definitely something that's embedded in our DNA. How do we think about that data-driven aspect as not being performance only, but also being something that informs the end-to-end consumer experience for our clients? It makes sense. And you seem to be talking again, not just about addressability there, but really going back to that core topic of transformation. So I'd love to ask you a bit more about your title, Chief Transformation Officer. Where do you look first when you're thinking about making changes and what are at such a large organizations as some of the levers that you yourself can pull to actually make that transformation happen? 
Yeah, I definitely look for what's making or potentially could make the biggest impact to what we're trying to push forward in our agenda, right? So I'm sure other folks that you've talked to have spoken about the great resignation. Everybody's kind of looking at ways to optimize and enable our people. So that's definitely high priority on my agenda, working with, like I referenced, Kim and Pele. And that goes not only for the digital transformation aspects, as far as looking at intelligent automation to help us not have to enter things and systems five different times, but it also goes to the grassroots of training and enablement and making sure that everybody has a baseline level of fluency to really get that thought leadership out there and and really work outside of their comfort zone. That's definitely on the agenda for this year. If I think about the pillars of transformation that I've put forth in unison with Stacey and Jared, the organic growth aspect with the partners we just touched on is definitely there. The enablement aspects are definitely there. The digital transformation aspects are definitely there. And then at a macro level, thinking about how we structure ourselves and our business unit partners to make sure that we're delivering best in class for our clients. You mentioned one of your partners there, and I wanted to ask you about something specific, which is quite new, which was Kinesso recently announced the new identity solution, Kinesso Intelligence Identity, or Key. That's designed to help offset the loss of traditional IDs like third-party cookies and IDFA. Could you tell us a bit more about that? So I think it's important to understand the macro aspects of what we're seeing in the industry, right? We're seeing these walled gardens come up and come up with really great solutions that aren't interoperable. And so making sure that we have as an industry, but also as benefits to our clients, the interoperability aspect of identity will be key, no pun intended, Um, but, but key or Knesso identity essentially looks to take those named identifiers and known instances of users and connect them with those unknown instances of users via first-party pixeling. So how do we create a holistic view of a consumer within an environment that is, to Joey's earlier point, truly addressable end-to-end? So that might be layering in first-party data to determine what's new and exciting about an existing audience. That might be, hey, we have a number of clients that don't port in their first-party data for whatever reason. How do we still have proxy data um, to look at in order to be able to amplify their marketing experiences and what they're trying to kind of use as business objectives So it really is that end-to-end known and unknown keychain, if you will. So taking identifiers from a number of varying sources, Axiom being one of the main data assets, to layer in that holistic identity from a keychain perspective. Jen, since um, third-party cookies have obviously been in the news so much, probably too much, we, we wanted to get your take on a somewhat more basic question. You feel like the perfect person to ask this to. Since the dawn of digital, and especially, or, or certainly the dawn of programmatic, there have really been two basic ways to think about targeting. And this is nothing you don't know. There's contextual, and then there's audience. So all the capabilities have become more advanced, but the philosophy really hasn't. You can target content that aligns to your brand's offering, or you can target users that you believe are likely to convert. All these years later, do you think that's still true? And maybe is there another way that we should be looking at this? That's so funny that you mentioned that, Joey. So when privacy first came to bear, the conversation first started, I specifically remember sitting in a boardroom in Philadelphia at one of our client meetings with the CIO and CTO saying, hey, remember contextual and behavioral targeting that we did? (laughs) (laughs) That's still a thing and is probably going to be supercharged moving forward. So 
So I do think there's a, a place for that. Um, I think it's just going to be amplified and supercharged with the data that we have. So if you think about historical contextual targeting, you know, it's really been within a specific provider or publisher based off of the data that they have. And so how do we bring that same functionality and um, efficacy to clients, right? From a MarTech perspective, we're seeing a lot of clients build their own first-party data infrastructure in order to, to have their data be owned and operated by them, but also to be, be more reliable in the future. And then, you know, thinking about that same aspect from a universal identity perspective. So I think identity is still at the core, whether it be contextual, whether it be audience, whether it be behavioral, whether it be intent signals, you know, because an intent signal might be very different for client A that is looking for the next retargeting pixel versus client B that their purchase behaviors, you know, five to 10 years out, and they just want to see when, when that next behavior is coming. So I do think it'll be a mixture of contextual behavioral targeting in addition to audience-led with intent and signals embedded. And you can see some of that come to bear with the recent announcement of flocks being kind of, uh, I don't want to say deprecated, but transformed into topics um, and, you know, using those, that cohort data to really get topical within Google's ecosystem. Not to leave out the fact that where there are those data integrations and privacy allows like customer match, obviously is still, still really, really prevalent as well. What do you say, by the way, to clients who maybe don't have a meaningful amount of first party data? It, it, do you tell them to, hey, start collecting it today? Or do you maybe say it, it's too late? Let's look elsewhere and figure out other signals that you can use. It's probably somewhere in between. So I will never say that it's too late because, you know, obviously any time that we can get a marketer and advertiser kind of more self-sufficient is always a good thing. Overall, having that parallel path of what I call design versus activation. So really aligning on the design aspects of what they're trying to target, who they're trying to target, how are they trying to target those either topics or contexts or uh, individuals or audiences really, and then really fortifying how that comes to life for activation. And that might be different within a varying platform or varying, varying use case, but, you know, essentially getting to what that design, a strategic design element is, and then being able to transfer that. And folks like Will Wiseman here, who's our chief strategy officer, as well as JP, who's our chief comms design officer, are really great at synthesizing that within cultural velocity, which is one of the things that we we talk about a lot. It's not just the right place at the right time at the right moment, which a lot of uh, data platforms are focusing on, but it's also about that cultural relevancy and making sure that the data is not biased. I think that's a really good point. And pulling back to one topic you raised earlier, no pun intended, but Google Topics. Uh, for, the, for those who are not familiar, Google Topics is the, the Chrome privacy sandbox, either Jen, I think you called it out well. It's either the replacement for or the evolution of Flux. So this is a two-parter for you. Number one is just what's your overall take on it? And I guess you can go any direction you want with that. Number two, and maybe more interestingly for me at least, is in your role now, how much time do you dedicate to getting educated and maybe explaining these topics, again, no pun intended, to clients given that especially things like the privacy sandbox move so quickly and are fairly technical and not everybody has a great grasp of it. Yeah, that's fair. So starting off with the first part of the question, I think it was very kind of apparent when we received or the industry received some of the feedback from the DSP partners that was testing Flock that, you know, a new solution was imminent. And I think that's why you saw some of the, the dates shift as they did. 
so I think topics are definitely a good foray into what we think about from an intent-based marketing perspective, coupled together with some of the other aspects that Google have, like customer match within, you know, SA 360, DB 360. And I know I'm getting a little granular here, but for clients that, that have GCP connected to GMP, it will be a very good balance of, of um, ways of working, if you will, from a technical perspective. So that's really where I think that will land. And I do think it's, it's something that overall, and it's a good segue into the second part of the question, it's just going to require a lot of testing. Like even when it was Flock, we, we had a very large agenda on, on the things that we need to test all the way from planning and scalability to activation to measurement, which is where, by the way, where I think the biggest hole is right now, but overall, you know, it is something that we, we look towards testing. And so when I speak to our internal teams from a digital fluency perspective, but also our clients, it's, it's not necessarily the granular technical aspects. It's like, Hey, Google came out with this new aspect of targeting, or you could enter any partner name there, right? Because that's going to continue to happen as we go towards 2023 let's think about testing your first party data, your third party data, your different types of targeting methodology, your measurement, your activation, your syndication um, methods, all of those things in between all the way from planning to activation to measurement to make sure that those interoperability factors are there, number one, but also that we're not losing some of the functionality that we previously had with cookies. And Cookies were never a good base anyway because of the fact that they were not reliable, but making sure that it's not fragmented in the future is going to be a key focus for us. Perfect. Now, it's been really good to dig into these issues, but um, Jen, we'd love to ask you a few rapid fire questions that we always ask people appearing on the Agency Roadshow. And this is the section where we imagine we're in the car together on a literal roadshow, um, not on holiday, unless you want to imagine you're on holiday with me and Joey. That's up to you. Um, and we'd love to hear your quick fire answers. So first of all, I'd love to know what keeps you up at night, kind of work edition? What single thing causes you the most anxiety? Yeah, I think overall, you know, I, I definitely talk about transformation being the kind of intersection of people, process and technology. I think we're on a good path for a process here as well as um, technology. The people aspect are really what keep me up at night. So we've invested, as you can tell, by the folks that I reference with our global chief experience officer and our chief culture and inclusion officer, in addition to myself and the HR teams and our uh, senior leadership team at whole really diving in. We've invested a ton of time in making sure that, you know, our culture is something that folks want to come to, that everybody can bring their whole self to work. You know, we have just released 30 different, let's just call them grants for culture shift where everybody can, you know, kind of do their own thing with what, what they've worked on. So some folks went, took that grant and, you know, looked at building a technical keyboard or their passion for yoga. So really bringing their whole self to work is something that I think is important. And the reason I think is important is because, you know, overall, if you're not essentially bringing your whole self to work, that you're not bringing your whole mind to work and overall the thought processes that we need to make sure that folks are happy when they're at work and, and bring that authentic self so that we can actually look at the different diverse, unique perspectives to making sure that we're keeping our people happy there. So I think people overall is probably the biggest aspect of what keeps me up at night, especially since as Joey will tell you, I'm a people person <laughs> uh, and it's really important for everybody to be happy. Well, I could not agree more with you, but I wondered if conversely, there's a piece of tech or a product or something you're working on that 
from your point of view that you're really excited about? So not just your worries, but the thing that's making you really excited. Yeah, I think the thing that's making me really excited is, you know, this enablement factor. So how do we look at things like intelligent automation, like robotic process automation to really help fortify our people with day-to-day time and bandwidth so that they can focus on higher value tasks or that critical thinking aspect and bringing that to beer here at Initiative. We're, we're doing a little bit of a roadshow on our own of, of socializing that idea because it's so out of the box, right? Um, and making sure that everybody's comfortable with it. And, and as excited as we are, we had a little bit of a name the bot contest, which will continue to amplify. But um, that is something from an initiative perspective that I'm excited about. And then overall, you know, industry perspective, it's, it's really how do we think about the next evolution of, let's just say, data targeting measurement holistically, the way we've been working for the last 10 to 15 years and that dichotomy of brand versus performance no longer being at odds, right? So if we think about 20 years ago, it was all those big brand moments, then it's shift to data-driven and it's maybe too much on the pendulum of data-driven. So really seeing how those two come together within synergies um, to kind of amplify the holistic consumer experience will be really great. Jen, you've obviously had, as you said at the top, some really great senior level roles across holding companies. And so I'd say you are clearly, without doubt, an agency expert. So curious on your view of how agency life has maybe changed over the last one to two years, maybe non-COVID edition, because COVID is just too obvious an answer, but how things change over the last couple of years, and then how do you think they will change over the next couple of years? I mean, the elephant in the room is COVID, right? Um, So we definitely have had, you know, a significant shift in ways of working, whether that be leveraging more online tools like Slack or Teams or things of that nature. Um, I think one of the things even pre-COVID that I was a huge fan of is really getting to know as many folks as possible individually. So I have a lot of one-on-ones just getting to know people. It's funny you say that. Last week, I like just scheduled a one-on-one with somebody I had just met within initiative. And he was like, oh my gosh, should I prepare something? And I was like, nope, <laughs> this is really just to get to know you. <laughs> no prep necessary, but um, taking that level of time and carving out, you know, those 15, 30 minutes per day or whatever your, your goal is to really reach out to folks um, and get their perspective on life, get their perspective on how they're doing really is going to be key. And I think something that persists um, after covid the other aspect that's really unique to initiative, but something we we um, definitely will continue to support is the the flexibility across our people. Um, so we have folks, you know, kind of working uh, remotely, as you can imagine, and um, I do think that will persist um, with the availability, obviously, of the office being open, where there's you know client meetings or team meetings that need to need to have that type of in person connectivity. You hit on it directly. So you beat me to it. But what do you think the next few months look like in terms of working from home, returning to the office, things like business travel or or industry events? Do you think, is there any degree of certainty in terms of the planning or you're feeling it out as we go? Yeah. I mean, I think if anybody tells you that they have a plan, I think that that's probably unrealistic. We are certainly continuing to feel it out. Um, You know, as part of the leadership team here, able to make those decisions, we at the core of our being are really concerned about the safety of our our people, first and foremost, and their comfortability. 
Um, but we have seen when folks go into the office, that type of workshopping or, or team bonding has really helped. So I think we'll see definitely um, bifurcation of, of both of those aspects come to life over the next few months as we head into summer, as you know, things potentially die down um, from a number, total number of cases perspective. And um, as each individual really works that out um, on their you know, kind of overall individual level, uh, which is what we look to forward to help kind of uh, crafting for them. And so what would you give as a piece of advice? This is something I always love to ask people. What piece of advice would you have someone who's just starting out in the agency business, hoping to get their first agency job? I'm going to take this one, this question as like, if I were talking to my younger self, you know, overall, my parents kind of migrated with my grandparents here from South America, like in the 60s or 70s or something of that nature. So I'm first generation American. And I feel like some of the normalities or um, let's just say mannerisms, if, if you will, of that type of upbringing definitely did not allow me to be vocal um, at the beginning of my career. So I think definitely finding your voice and bringing your authentic self to work is something I'm really passionate about as you heard throughout this podcast. But uh, basically, I think I would couple that with the other aspect of curiosity. So um, I've definitely been curious and been able to take that curiosity to the next level um, as far as, you know, deep diving into all these topics, uh, which is why I try to stay educated on, on, you know, Google topics or the next next wave of things that are coming in and play. So I think curiosity is definitely a huge factor in, in my personal success and something that I tell everyone um, that I talk to you that they should definitely embed into their work life um, overall. Because if you're if you stay curious, if you continue to push the norm, if you think outside of the box and then figure out a way to operationalize it or think outside of the box and then have allies to help you bring that to bear, it is something that will continue to be your differentiator, but also bring the most value to our clients because at the end of the day, we're a client service business. Jen, getting at uh, maybe your hesitancy to be vocal when your career started, I did not have the privilege of knowing you when you were starting out in finance, although I'm sure that would have been cool. Um, but since I've known you, I think I've never had that impression of you whatsoever. I've always thought you've been extremely forward, extremely well-spoken, extremely confident. Was that a gradual growth process for you? Or was there maybe one or one precipitating event that made you say like, oh, I really, I have value to bring here and and I'm not going to be afraid to talk anymore. Yeah, I think it was a mixture of gradual, but there was definitely one event um, where I was sitting in a client facing meeting as a technical SME of how they were bringing something to bear um, collectively, you know, and the one of my counterparts was sitting right across from me and, you know, saying all these things that I was thinking in probably not the most eloquent way. And I was like, well, if you can say this and get that reaction, (laughs) 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 why am I so quiet? I definitely think, you know, that was probably a tipping point for me. And to your point, I've always maintained that mannerism um, that I learned through my upbringing of, you know, still being very respectful, making sure that I let everyone speak before I jump in and making sure that that I'm adding value when I'm saying something. So there's still that aspects of me still bringing my culture and my upbringing to work, but I'm no longer, let's just say, reserved to be vocal and to your point. And very direct, and I think the the directness actually helps with uh, with getting things done. Well, I for one am very glad that you're no longer reticent, but 
willing to speak out because it means we got to speak to you here today. Thank you so much, Jen. Thank you. I really appreciate this time uh, to have this chat with me. I hope it it helps um, bring some light to what we're doing here at Initiative and how we essentially have the importance of people, process, and technology all embedded in everything that we do. Um, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, and this was great. Thank you so, so much. Thanks for listening, everyone. This has been the Agency Roadshow. You can find us at your favorite podcast store, where we'd appreciate you sharing with your colleagues. And if you have a minute, a kind review.